Aquarius Productions specializes in photography, videography, sound, and entertainment. Comedy reels, headshots, music videos. Make sure to catch Zachary Perkins' la uh, latest music video being released next week. Aquarius worked with the talent of Astro Clown Productions to make it mwah. She literally wrote, insert chef's kiss here. So I, I didn't improvise that. They know what it's like to have a vision. Aquarius is here to help you realize it. And if you aren't an entertainer and you love entertainment, I mean, who doesn't? They are here to produce comedy and music events for you. Contact their Facebook or Instagram page for details. Aquarius, content created by artists for artists. Let's play the music. music means that music means it is time for the open micers podcast my name is jason robbins i wear the same hat every episode i'm jacob craig and tell our guest tonight yeah i'll, I'll tell oh, him oh yeah yeah you oh, tell i'll tell him. him big daddy you tell him our guest tonight is a comic book colorist editor producer and writer who has worked on titles such as avengers spider-man she-hulk and superman you can see her at pensacon in Pensacola, Florida, at the Pensacola Bay Center, May 21st through the 23rd. Please give a warm welcome to the show, Miss Renee Witterstatter. How are you doing today, ma'am? I'm doing good. How are you guys? We are doing great. I'm so glad you're here. Me too. Let me see if I can do that. Is that how you <laughs> yeah, that's much better than mine. I should have delegated the chef's kiss <laughs> yeah. to you or to someone else. I'm not a very good actor. But well, so it's we a little-known fact, actually, that I don't know if you remember that Joe Jesco big Paul She-Hulk poster that was very popular. Oh, yeah, time. yeah. Mm -hmm. The lip marks on that poster where She-Hulk kisses the poster, those are actually my lips. Really? Wow. Model. <laughs> wow. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewrite my intro here real quick to include lip model. Lip model yeah. um. There was a contest at the Marvel offices to see who had the best, you know, lip smack. So we had to put on red lipstick and kiss a piece of paper. So the runner up was actually Glenn Herdling, who was another assistant editor. So I just narrowly beat out Glenn. His lips were, were probably better than mine, probably more voluptuous, but for some reason he didn't get it. So he's always been bitter about that. <laughs> anyway, I, know there, I, digress. I digress. There are a lot of uh, grudges held in the lit modeling industry from oh, what I, I know, understand. Suspicious, suspicious. So you've had yeah. you've had quite the career. Um before we get into any of that, what do you what new stuff are you working on lately? Oh gosh, I'm always working on something. Um actually Michael Golden who's my one of my main business partners he and i are working on some creator owned projects right now which i will be doing indiegogos on soon so you guys can be looking for that i don't really want to say names or tell too much about it until i actually launch it but when i do we can come back on and talk more about it fantastic uh, i'm also working on an updated um, book of my jack chan movies I did a yes. book for Warner Brothers um, some time ago now called Dying for Action, The Life of Film Jack Chan. So I'm, I'm updating that book. Uh, and I'm also working on a few other books that I'm not really ready to announce yet. But in the midst of all that, I've also started um, a website called happyspicepop.com. And 
you can go on there and buy virtual experiences with some of the media guests that I represent and also with some of the artists I represent. And of course, we are now starting to book shows again. So I'm very busy uh, booking talent for shows. So convention promoters can always contact me and uh, you know, get my list of talent. And, uh, you know, there, there are lots of folks that are really eager to get back out there and meet the fans and, um, you know, start interacting with people. So how does it feel now that uh, now that everything's kind of getting back to normal? Is uh, is Pensacon your first uh, first kind of foot back out into the public? Well, I think it is probably one of the the first larger shows that we've done. Mm-hmm. We've been doing a lot of store appearances with Michael Golden and also with Arthur Sudam, uh, especially with Arthur this year. The uh, the pops, the Marvel Zombie pops, have been really super hot. He's been signing a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, because they're all based on his Marvel Zombie designs. And uh, so that's been really cool. But we've done a lot of smaller venues. We've done store appearances. We've done CGC Signature Series um, with all the guys, um, Jim Shooter, Michael Golden, Arthur Sudam, myself. And we're going to be doing more of that stuff. But Kensicon is the first bigger show that we've done. Yeah. And it's our first time to do Kensicon. Actually, I've, I've never been to Pensacon before. Oh, you're so going to have so much fun. You're going to have so much fun. Pensacon's one of the best shows on the earth. Is it? Yeah. It's not just one place. It's the entire city. Oh, yeah. Really? It's like a whole, like, what, two or three blocks taken up with a convention. Seriously? I know Jason here has, a, like, five panels to yeah. do or something like that at the convention. <laughs> yeah, I got to do, like, one Friday night if I can get there on time. I have three on Saturday and I think two on Sunday. So wow. I don't even know when I'm going to get to go in the actual convention itself because I'm going to be doing so many panels over the weekend. That's exciting. But yeah, I, I hear, I hear that, uh, that registration, people buying tickets is really strong, so I mm-hmm. think it's going to be a mm-hmm. show. One thing I will uh, I will recommend is when you're in town, you have to eat at McGuire's. That really? is, wow, yes. yeah, McGuire's. Go get yourself an Irish wake and uh, get the try the hamburgers. The ham, they got the good hamburger, great hamburgers. The shepherd's pie is awesome. The fish and chips wow. is awesome. Anything you want, they got. Wow, that sounds cool. Well, yeah, I, I food, so. I just watched your interview with, um, or the interview on your other podcast with uh, the voice of Bowser last night, Jason Kenny James. Yeah, <laughs> and um, he said that he didn't believe the McGuire's hype until his agent took him there. And the <laughs> second day he was in town, he had the same exact mm. thing in McGuire's again because it was so good. Yeah, wow. <laughs> two days in a row. It's Irish food. No, not oh. exactly. I mean, yeah, it does have some Irish food. Like I said, it's got like shepherd's pie stuff like that, but. Man, their hamburgers are are to are they're about the size of a couch cushion. And they have, you know, if you're vegetarian, they have vegetarian burgers. They, you know, they get they've got anything you want, they have. It's the best huge product placement for McGuire's. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, sponsored by McGuire's. If they would just give me a a gift certificate every Pensacon, I would pimp them every show. You need to set that up, man. You do. Yeah, I might have to. Get us a sponsorship, Jason. Come on. Yeah, I go will. For it. But uh, before we move too much away from it, you mentioned the book you wrote, the biography about Jackie Chan. And I saw that in your biography. And I 
got so excited because I'm such a huge Jackie Chan fan. Oh, me too. Uh, yeah, so I want to talk about like where your love of Jackie Chan came from. Why? How did you decide you wanted to write a biography? Have you ever met him? Oh, yeah. I used to all work with Jackie all the time. Yeah. Oh, uh, Not- before we go, I'm sorry to interrupt. Before we go any further, we are finally on uh, Twitch. We have been for a few minutes. So if you missed okay. the beginning, and this is going to be on YouTube, if you missed the beginning of the uh, the show, just go over and listen to the, the podcast form. You only missed about two minutes. So. Go back and listen to that. Talking about restaurants and places to eat. Yeah. (laughs) And um, uh, the the, the hardships of the lip model industry. (laughs) Anything you miss. (laughs) Oh, so Jackie. Oh, okay. So I was an editor at Marvel. And uh, one of my uh, friends, who was my office mate, Marie Javins, we were sharing an office together at the time, uh, took me to um, Chinatown to, and to see a movie. And it turned out to be a Jackie Chan movie. It was Armor of God, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a good one. And um, I loved Jackie immediately. I said, you know, this guy is like a superhero come to life. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he could be Spider-Man. I mean, he's just amazing. And so I started developing an, an idea. And, um, you know, I said, you know, we should do a comic book on Jackie. You know, he's, he's like a comic book character come to life. Why don't we reverse that? Why don't we do a comic book based on him? Um, so I came together with an idea. I found a way to contact Jackie's agents in Hong Kong. Um, and I said, hey, you know, I'm interested in doing a comic book based on Jackie or, you know, with Jackie as a consultant. And they said, oh, that's a great idea. Um, when can you meet with us? And, and can you be in Hong Kong next week? And I said, uh, yeah, probably. So I asked my bosses at Marvel, who was Mark Grunewald at the time, and said, you know, Mark, do you mind if I take a month off and go to Hong Kong? And Mark was the kind of guy that, like, always wanted you to pursue your dream, always wanted you to go after whatever it is that you wanted to do. And he, so he arranged for me to actually go over to China for a month and uh, without losing my job. And, <laughs> of course, I still had to do some work while I was there, but I went over met with Jackie, uh, met with his people, immediately hit it off and stayed over there for a month and um, had him consult with me on putting this project together. And uh, Michael Golden was the co-creator on that. We had Rick Myers, who's a martial arts expert, also as a a consultant on the book. And it's called Spartan X. And uh, we're going to be doing one of the projects we're working on now is doing a trade paperback of Spartan X that we're hoping to have out in a year. Um, it's one of the things I'm going to be doing in Indiegogo on. But that led to me not only doing the comic book with Jackie, but it led to me writing Dying for Action, the life and films of Jackie Chan. And that's been published by Warner Books in the U.S. and Titan Books in England. Um, that's one of two books I've had out through Titan. And um, also, I ended up working on a lot of movies with Jackie. Uh, I worked on Rush Hour 2. Uh, I worked... Wow. Um, you know, I was on the set of a lot of his Hong Kong movies like Police Story 3 and Drunken Master 2. And, um, you know, he's an amazing person, very much a humanitarian, uh, very, very sweet person. And, uh, you know, I hit it off with him immediately. And when I went to Hong Kong on that adventure for the first time, um, you know, he couldn't have been more welcoming or, or more kind. You know, I have nothing but, but good things to say about Jackie. Absolutely. I need to pick up that book for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I will be updating it. I will be updating it. He 
he's done a lot, you know, he's done a lot of other things. Um, probably broken a lot more body parts since I wrote that book. Oh, wow. So, you know, we got to update the uh, injury tally for Jackie. <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, I can imagine you, that you said armor probably... the, the armor of the gods was the uh, first one you saw. I think that was the one where he uh, actually got. That's where he got the hole in his skull. Was that oh, I movie. know, I know, falling out of the tree in Yugoslavia. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, you know, he almost died. I know. Yeah. I, Actually, I feel like Jackie. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Now, one time, like I was in Jackie's office, and he takes my hand, and he goes, he goes, put your hand here, and he puts my hand on his skull, and then he starts to hum, and you could actually feel where he still had a hole in his head. Oh my God. From that, like, from that accident in Yugoslavia, you know. So that's like one of his parlor tricks. <laughs> I feel like he could probably compare injuries with Johnny Knoxville and come out on top. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think Johnny like uh, got got injured almost on purpose. Jackie didn't really yeah. get injured. Yeah. <laughs> his intent was not to be. Not to fall out of a tree. You know, Johnny Knoxville's like, oh, let's fall out of a tree and see what happens. I wonder <laughs> yeah. how hard it is for Jackie Chan to, to actually get movies made because it's got to be impossible to get insurance on no, the movies that he makes. No, in Hong Kong, uh, it, was, it was like the wild, wild west. Anything goes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, it's, it's not the same in the U.S., of course. In the U.S., you have to have uh, Lloyd's of London insurance. You have yeah. to have all you know you it's like they tried to get him not to do his own stunts but he's like no i'm doing my own stunts." and uh but in hong kong he's the boss he could do whatever he wanted whenever right. he wanted, how many times he wanted you know nobody was going to tell him not to do a stunt um you know jackie would just do whatever he wanted to do uh now i i think it's been about two years since i saw him i, I visited him um on a set outside of beijing a few years ago and it's a little more stringent now. And of course, he's a little bit older now. Um, but, you know, with the Chinese government, uh, he was filming some Beijing. They had different rules than they did back in the Hong Kong days. Because most of the time when I was in Hong Kong, it was before the changeover in 97. Yeah. Uh, before, it let, you know, before it went back to China. So, but it was a completely different animal. But no, Jackie, Jackie was always able to have complete creative control on his movies that he did in Hong Kong. Must be nice. <laughs> Look at the product. You know, it's every movie Jackie did, I, I really feel it was a labor of love, and he really pushed the envelope and propelled Hong Kong cinema over and over again. You know, when he started doing period pieces, he started doing kung fu movies like in the modern age, like period pieces like uh, Project A. Other people started doing that. You know, when he started doing, uh, you know, the police story uh, movies, then other people started doing that. Yeah. You, you can look at even U.S. movies like Tango and Cash and, and some other movies, and they take stunts verbatim out of Jackie Chan movies and recreate them. Mm -hmm. uh, and other, you know, other movies do that all the time, too. And, of course, Jackie was heavily influenced by Buster Keaton, oh, another, yeah, yeah. another hero of mine. Um, I absolutely love Buster Keaton, which is probably one of the reasons that I gravitated to so much to Jackie's movies in the beginning. And it's crazy. You see all those movies that Jackie Chan, like when he, when he really hit America back in, you know, in the mid nineties, uh, I guess, um, mid to late nineties, when he really exploded over here, 
you know, I, I remember there was just like one movie after another, like a movie, a new Jackie Chan movie would be in the theaters like every three to four months. It's oh, because he had so many movies and they were yeah. just bringing all those movies over here, redubbing them in English and yeah. releasing them under a different name. They're awesome because he has such a great screen presence. Mm -hmm. But that was his second attempt at the U.S. market. You know, he was in the U.S. back in the 80s. Doing the big brawl, um, Cannonball Run. Oh, yeah. Um, that was where I first saw him was yeah. Cannonball Run, the Cannonball Run 1 and 2. Right. And, you know, he just, he, he found it sort of um, constricting that he couldn't do everything he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like even on Cannonball Run where he had to do a fight scene in the sand. He was like, you know, it would be better if I wasn't standing in the sand because it's hard to, you know do the things I want to do, but they're like, no, you're going to fight in the sand. So I think at that point he wanted to go back to Hong Kong and do things his own way. And it, it paid off for him. You yeah. Know, became, right. Like, I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I want to move the conversation more oh, okay. towards, well, uh, all day, but... <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I so, could as well. So many good Jackie Chan oh, stories. I'll save them for my updated book. Yeah. <laughs> please yes just shoot me an email whenever you are ready to promote that we will have a whole discussion bathing myself in insect repellent <laughs> oh i i understand we live here in the south and uh, mm -hmm. uh, you'll get flown away by mosquitoes down here i'm in texas right now Ooh, yeah. oh yeah you'll definitely get flown away by mosquitoes in texas <laughs> i know but my house is full of boxes that i'm packing for shows so i, I was trying to give you something picturesque to look at yeah <laughs> boxes. All right, what, well, what should we talk about now? Okay, so I want to start at the very beginning. When was the first time you ever picked up a comic book? And when you did, did you ever think that you would want to, you know, work on that as your career? Oh, well, I had two older brothers, still do. Um, that's why I'm in Texas to see them. Uh, but they had comic books in their room. They had lots of very interesting things in their room. They had Doc Savage books. They had magazines about horrible, brutal murders in the in the Wild West that were fascinating. Oh yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and they had some comic books. So I would go into their room when they weren't home and go through all their stuff, and <laughs> and read all their books. And uh, the first comic books I remember picking up were um, maybe not the most exciting books for comic book collectors, but it were the Jerry Lewis comics from DC. I think Neil Adams drew some of those too. And as a kid, they were absolutely hilarious. I love them. And also they had the Spider-Man issue where he, um, he met Mary Jane for the first time, but it was oh, wow. in really horrible condition. The cover had been torn off of it, but I was looking at it and I love the artwork and I love the characters. And um, there was something very compelling about it to me. I don't know if that if, if at that age I thought about working in comic books as a career. I, I drew a lot. Um, I was always drawing, but I always knew that I was going to work in some creative field because I always gravitated towards storytelling. I always gravitated to movies and books and uh, you know creating my own little stories and writing. So what I did end up doing was I um, ended up getting my degree in English and journalism. But, and I worked on a lot of small newspapers and even did some work for the Dallas Morning News for a while. But the, my first real job out of college happened to be 
working for a company in Dallas called Bulldog Productions, and they were putting on the Dallas Fantasy Fairs, which were really the forerunners of the modern day conventions. The first ones that really took comic guests and media guests and put them together. And I became the co-chair of those shows for a few years all over Texas. And through that, um, met people and um, got hired as an assistant editor at DC first and then moved over to Marvel. And um, what I always like to say is, you know, I started out wanting to be a journalist. And of course, that helped me later with my, my writing. But, you know, a door opens and you decide whether to walk through that door or not. You know, one thing's for sure, if you don't walk through that door, nothing's going to happen. But if you do walk through the door, then, you know, something may happen and it might be different. It might not be what you expected, but it could lead someplace, you know, kind of interesting. So I always looked at it that way. I always said, well, you know, I didn't start out wanting to be a comic book editor, but I like comic books. And, I'm, you know, through the connections I've made, I'm being offered a a job at DC Comics. So I loaded up my U-Haul trailer. (laughs) And, and drove up to, to uh, New York and, uh, you know, I've been working in uh, entertainment ever since. So do you like, uh, which do you like better, DC or Marvel? That's going to be the oh. question. <laughs> oh, no. That's well, the everything's based on our own experiences, you know? Yeah. And, uh, also, you've worked for both of them, so that's yeah. probably like trying to pick <laughs> your favorite child. No, I definitely have a favorite child. One of my, one of the <laughs> The other one I love. The other one, you know, send it. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, it's like everything's based on our own experiences. It's like, for instance, I was Hong Kong. I loved Hong Kong. It was like a second home to me. But the Hong Kong that I experienced, the Hong Kong that I lived in, um, no longer exists. Yeah. You know, it, it disappeared. And, um, you know, there are vestiges of it, there are still remnants of it. But the feeling, um the culture that was there at that time is no longer there um is something different now and someone that visits hong kong right now will will probably love it because that's their hong kong they don't know the hong kong that i knew so i i say it the same way with with um you know dc and marvel they're they're organic changing entities uh they're not the same now as they were back when i worked for them i was at uh I was at DC for about two years and it was a very corporate environment. Um, But also I was a very young, very, uh, very naive, very inexperienced person at that point, knew nothing about New York, knew nothing about uh, comic books. And I had a lot to learn. Mike Carlin was my boss on the Superman books. And he taught me a great deal about putting together comic books. You know, it was, uh, a trial by fire sometime because it was really fast paced, really um, corporate, but I don't regret those years. It was, it was a learning experience. But then I was hired uh, in the, the silver surfer office at Marvel. Uh, and I, and uh, my boss there was Craig Anderson. And I was at Marvel for about five or six years. And I have to say that it was completely different than DC because it was like a family. You know, everybody hung out together. Everybody had dinner together. Everybody had lunch together. We had office parties all the time. Mark Grunewald made sure that there was always a good sense of camaraderie. And my boss, Craig Anderson, gave me a great deal of responsibility. 
uh, I put together uh, Watha, I, I put together the Conan books, Conan Saga and, and Savage Sword of Conan. Mm. I um, worked on Guardians of the Galaxy and Thanos Quest. And so Craig had, even though I was listed as the assistant editor on some of those books, well, like, um, you know, what the and uh, um, uh, what if he he really let me do almost uh, full editing on on a lot of those. So I really learned a lot from Craig. And um, so for me, I, I look back at my Marvel years and uh, I like them much better than my DC years. But that's my experience. And it's it's all based on the people that were there at the time, the opportunities I was given the sense of family that I had and being a very young person uh, moving from Texas to New York and having never, ever been up North before in my whole life, it was the family that I needed because it really, really gave me a sense of community. Whereas without that, I would have been completely adrift. So I always, have, I always have a fond uh, fondness for Marvel. Plus, I really like the Marvel characters. Maybe oh, that yeah, goes right. back to finding that book in my brother's room, you know, when I was a kid. But I've always loved the Marvel characters because, you know, I think a lot of other people have said this at this point too. But I love the Marvel characters because they're 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 human. Yeah, there's, right. you know, a lot. Of, you, you can have empathy for them. You can see yourself in them. You yeah. can. You can root for them. You can stand on the sidelines and and feel like you're rooting for one of your own. And I think that that's I think that's something Stan Lee and, and the other creators that he worked with knew very well. You know, the way to connect, the way to build an audience is to make these folks feel like they have a sense of family, a sense of community with our characters. Oh yeah. And that was the kind of atmosphere also that was in the office at the time when I worked there. So was Stanley still uh, a, a, a presence at Marvel at that time, or was that around the time he wasn't really around anymore? Well, Stan would be around some. He was living in California at the time when I was at Marvel. It was during the DeFalco years when I was there. DeFalco was editor-in-chief. And Stan would still come in. He was still a consultant there, but he was also starting his work in California. But he would come in and he was good friends with Jim Salakrup, who's also a good friend of mine, the Spider-Man I know editor. all these names you're saying, and yeah. they're like the rock star names of my youth. <laughs> yeah, and Jim would always invite me out to lunch with him and Stan. And uh, so we'd go and just listen to Stan, and it was always just so much fun. And Stan would come to the Marvel Christmas parties. We, back then, we always, I don't think, know if they do it anymore, but back then we had these big, lavish, black tie Christmas parties. And they were just legendary sure. <laughs> about the shenanigans that went on, which, you know, I can't even talk about. But it was, uh, you know, before the uh, days of Internet. So you got away with a lot more. And <laughs> but we had a fantastic time before the Internet. Oh, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Oh, but uh, Stan would always come to those. And so I have pictures with my, of myself with Stan in like four decades. Yeah, you know, I have like these four pictures that I always show people side by side. And and I look different in all of them. Like in the 80s, I have this weird mullet hairdo. Or, <laughs> you know, in one picture, I'm doing this. And another picture, I look like this. And I look so like, uh, so like geared on that decade. And you look at Stan and he doesn't age in any of the photos. He looked the same right. in the yeah. photos. It's, like, <laughs> it, it's, it's almost like he was 
uh, just going to defy the odds and just be with us forever. I mean, that's the way it felt about Stan, you know, and in a way he is, you know, whatever oh, he and yeah. Jack and Steve worked on. I mean, all, all of that is, is going to survive long, you know, long into the future. That is what a lot of people loved about Stan Lee was his polite stubbornness to yeah. have everything <laughs> the way that he wanted to have it. And doing it in a, you know, I don't know what he was like in the office or, you know, if he ever like really came down on hard on people, but it almost seemed like Stan got things done by just being Stan. It's not like he had to be mm-hmm. mean to people. Yeah. yeah. Right. So that was my impression anyway. And Sally Krupp loved him to death. You know, he, and I trust Jim with, with my life. Jim's a great guy. So any, anybody Jim likes, I like. So you well, were, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go, Jacob. No, you can go ahead, Jason. I was going to ask, well, um, so you did, of course, work on the Sensational She-Hulk. Um, yeah. You worked on that with uh, John Byrne, who is, you know, one of the most influential artists, uh, you know, at Marvel. Like, when I think of Spider-Man, like, that's, you know, the John Byrne version of Spider-Man is, like, what pops in my head. So what was it like working on that that series with him? Oh, I love working with John. And actually, John asked for me to be editor on that series and uh, I was very honored we I'd known John from our group out in Connecticut we would always go to John's house and play volleyball so I knew him it's not like he was a stranger he was a friend and uh, we had a fantastic time working on that book we collaborated quite a bit on the jokes and and John would like run plots past me and and um, you know he would tell me what it was he wanted to do. I would try to throw in my two cents on, on things that I came up with. But um, people always ask me, did I know that he was going to use me as a, um, a character in the book? And the right. answer is no. I never had any idea. Because whenever he would do the plot or whenever he would send me anything to read, I was never a character in the books. But then when he penciled it and inked it and sent it in, all of a sudden, there I was. So it was, always, it was always a surprise. And I always thought it was hilarious. Because if you've ever seen me in the She-Hulk books, John has me in this big palatial penthouse office with wall-to-wall windows and people bringing me my coffee on a tray. I guarantee you it was not that way. Uh, in fact, when I was editing She-Hulk, my office was uh, one of three offices in a little area below the main office floor that was called the Dungeon. We we lived there, called it the dungeon, because no one ever came to see it. We had no windows. Um, You know, it was like four offices down there. It was like Hilde Mesnick, me, and Marie, and then Kelly Cravisi. We were, it was three offices. Mindy Newell was down there for a while, too. And no one ever came to see us. Like, if somebody from the other floor came down there and, like, you go, whoa, why are they here? Did something happen? And we even had a pet rat down there in our office for a while. Um, not a wild rat. It was a Japanese hooded rat. Uh, and uh, Marie and I had it in the office down there for a long time, and no one ever did. So that just shows you, like, how, how no one ever came down there. So that was my reality. Marie and I sharing, like, a what felt like a 10 by 10 room. <laughs> it yeah. probably so, wow. so John, John's reality, I, I, I prefer John's reality for me, you know? Right. 
Oh, the, the lavish lifestyle of a comic book artist. Well, you know, if someone brings me my coffee on a silver tray every morning, I, I think that's a good start for yeah. every day. Yeah, <laughs> good start to the day for sure. Um, sadly, we are coming to the what? end of our time. I know. Me and Jason are are very cheap men. Uh, we, uh, we, we didn't pay for a Zoom subscription, so we only get about 40 minutes an episode. That's so much but, more to talk about. Oh, I know. I know. Well, that's why we have to have you on again. Yes. Uh, let me, let, yeah. So, so I'll plug my uh, website, ebitpublishing.com, um, happyspacepop.com. Uh, if you're interested in booking talent for shows, I'm Mike Zeg, Arthur Sudam. I mean, I've got great folks. Eva Inc. at AOL.com, and that's I N K. I do not have any tattoos. That's not what it means. Eva Inc. <laughs> I N K is ink for books, and I was using that for a very long time before the tattoo pad. <laughs> excellent and of course people can see you at pensacon yes. i'm sure that you are going to have many wonderful things bring to uh sign. yes absolutely please bring her your books to sign everybody and again you can see her there at the pensacola bay center in pensacola florida at pensacon may 21st through the 23rd uh it's been so fantastic to have you on we, we have to do minutes. it again we've got four minutes i know we yeah. do have four minutes let's uh so let's talk about at at Pensacon. What, what 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 kind of things are you bringing to your table with you to uh to show uh, to the people? I'll have art prints. I'll have books. I'll have artists, like actual live people, um, that you can actually talk to, and they'll talk back. Um, are you doing any panels this weekend? I don't know. They haven't told me yet. Oh, hmm. yeah. I'm also coloring sketches. Like if you order a sketch from uh, Michael Golden or another artist, I'm also hand coloring sketches. That's just something I have started doing uh, because I was a colorist for so many years and people were asking me. So I said, okay, fine, I'll do that. Um, I'm sure I'm doing a panel. Uh, they haven't told me yet. If not, just sneak into one of Jason's panels yeah. and <laughs> tell him to get up and ask take over. Ask me something that... Um, that I won't expect. Hmm. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, I see that you have a beautiful yard there in Texas. Uh, what are your lawn care secrets? For <laughs> <laughs> someone else to do it. For <laughs> someone else to do it. Absolutely. That is, I think that's the key. No matter how it looks, as long as someone else does it, it's an amazing yard. Yeah, what and... and and don't don't like do an outdoor interview like when it's dusk and mosquitoes are coming mm -hmm. out. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite uh, place to get New York pizza? Oh God, um, well Ray's, Ray's famous pizza. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's different locations for that. I love New York pizza. Did you ever think about uh, catching a pet rat uh, on the streets of New York and take back <laughs> to your office with you? no however my first apartment in new york uh there were rats that lived in the walls and i used to have nightmares at night that they were going to eat through the walls and attack me <laughs> i feel like that's uh, a solid fear while living in new york <laughs> well they started chewing around the lights the the, the electrical sockets to try to get into the rooms. Oh no! Like <laughs> you know, they're called exterminators. So the exterminator came and poisoned all the rats inside the wall. 
So then we had dead rats in the wall for like a month and it smelled wonderful. So is it true living in New York, they have a, uh, uh, there's a statistic that says if you, li- if you live in New York, you are never more than five feet away from a rat. Oh, yeah. There's got, absolutely. I'm yeah. sure. They're everywhere. You should have made them pay rent instead of calling yeah. the exterminator, and that would have been <laughs> beneficial for you as well. I know. Well, we told our landlady about it because after we killed the rats, then the, the horse flies came to, like, I guess they were a direct extrapolation from the dead rats. And then we had an infestation of horse flies in the apartment, and our landlady didn't believe us. So, like, <laughs> killed all the horse flies and put them in a baggie and, like, mailed them to her. Oof. <laughs> Or that is a, some great A horror, horror movie. It has been point. absolutely fantastic talking to you. I hope you want to come back on the show because we have a lot more to talk about. And I promise next time we will have paid for a year of Zoom and we will be able to talk to you longer. Okay. Well, I really enjoyed talking to you guys. Thanks for having me on. And I'm going to meet you. Know, I'm going to come by your table and say hi next week. So, yes. And I will be there. And uh, if you would like to email us, you can email us at uh, openmicerspodcast at gmail.com. We are at openmicers on Twitter and openmicerspodcast on Facebook. And uh, that's going to do it for this week. So, Jacob, let's say goodbye. Goodbye. It's a piece of pie. Oh, man, that flew by. <laughs>